Welcome to podcast number seven of Bass Talk with Hagen and Hayes. Today's topic is my basses. So Susan Hagen, tell me about your basses, please. Hi, David Hayes. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Good. So my basses, wow. It's a really, I think it's kind of a fascinating topic because don't we all start out with some weird little mongrel of an instrument or was that just me? <laughs> That's me as well. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's big. And when you're just starting out, I think a lot of times parents think, do we really need to buy one of these? Is this going to last? So um, I had a bass that my, my dad was a music teacher at the time and in a different school system than, than where I went to school. But they had a bass that was not being used. and It was just in a storage closet. So he brought it home for me to use. And I joked that it looked like it had a bullet hole in the side of it. It was just this little round circle. And inside, it was probably just the wood that was inside it, but I swore it was the bullet. Now, quite frankly, I'm sure it would have gone straight through had it been a bullet. So I'm sure it wasn't, but it really just looked like that. So I joked that it had, you know, it was like I had the two F holes and I had the bullet hole. <laughs> and, um... I'm sure it was quite terrible, but honestly, I had a bass. I was so excited and it was just so much fun and I loved playing it. So I kind of um, touted my bullet hole bass with, with a great sense of pride. Uh, <laughs> and a couple years after that, I got into one of the youth orchestras in Boston. Um, at the time it was called the Greater Boston Youth Symphony Orchestra. We called it Gypso, which if you think of those letters, doesn't actually make sense. Um, they eventually got rid of Greater and now it's just Biso, Boston Youth Symphony Orchestra. It's very confusing to all of us who were once in it. But um, I got into that youth orchestra and I knew I had to return the bullet hole bass because the school district that was loaning it to me needed it back. And my mom tells the story of she literally was just like praying, dear God, what are we going to do? I don't want to have to buy this kid a bass. And the phone rang and it was the youth orchestra. And well, it was actually the man who was running the youth orchestra. And he said, Mrs. Hagen, I have some great news. I went up to one of our storage rooms at Boston University where they were housed. He said, and I found a bass that we had no clue that we had. And would you like Susan to, to borrow it? And so I borrowed that bass for seven years while I was in youth orchestra. Wow, fantastic. It wasn't rented. I know nothing about it. I was too young and stupid to think like, you know, oh, who's the maker? What kind of a bass is this? It had four strings and it played. And that was all I cared about. And I was so grateful that my parents didn't have to actually buy a bass for me at that point in time. Um, they had three daughters that were in youth orchestra taking music lessons and yeah, it's a lot all at once. And so I thought, Hey, this is great. And it was amazing. Now, what was your first bass? I, I was quite lucky because when I started uh, my school owned two or three bases. Nice. So I, I could use one of those uh, and it didn't cost them anything. It was, it was free of charge. But I remember one bass had gut strings, um, which is, in itself is okay, but they dried out. Apparently, <laughs> you have to do something on them to keep them uh, supple. And this, this, so every time you played it, they used to look at my fingers. There'd be blood all down the strings. Oh God! Spurs on the strings. Oh. So I couldn't play that one. But there was another, another little one. It was just a, 
I presume a three-quarter size. I, was, I think I was 14 when I started playing the bass. And then I, I, I think my teacher said, ask the director of music if you can buy the bass. Mm. So I, I asked the director of music. She said, yes, we could. And we settled on, I think it was 75 pounds, which is a hundred dollars, something Great. like that. So I had my first bass. It was a, just a plywood thing. And again, it had four strings on it. And I was so happy. And yes. I, I don't even know if I had a case. I bet it didn't even have a case. Looking mm. back on it. Oh, the cases. Yes. Yeah. I remember um, when I, I took the bullet hole bass to youth orchestra camp that first summer before they had found one lying around for me. And it had um, a fabric case like like canvas. It wasn't waterproof. And the handles had been ripped out, but there were holes in the fabric where the handles had been. So at first I would hook a finger in, in a couple of the holes to try to carry the bass. It was very uncomfortable. And I started thinking of pictures I'd seen in National Geographic magazine where people had heavy loads they would just carry it on their head and the weight would be distributed evenly. And so I stupidly thought this would be a good idea. So I would carry the base on my head because the camp was all dirt roads and everything was rather far for a little bass player with two holes in her canvas case to, to carry the bass and my fingers would really hurt. So I would just stick it on my head and walk and I felt like this amazingly strong woman. <laughs> it, but the cases sometimes can be just as much of an issue. I remember now my high school, I had blocked this out. My high school had a bass and it was fiberglass. I'm not saying carbon fiber, fiberglass. And wow. it was brick red. And I remember I saw it, it was like in this little cabinet and I opened the cabinet and it fell out and I just watched it and it landed and it bounced and it didn't break, nothing happened to it. And I don't even, I think it had a wooden bridge and the strings were all like frayed and unraveling. And I would use that at school in little orchestra rehearsals in high school so that I didn't have to bring a bass. I would bring my bass for concerts because it was an embarrassment. I was like, I don't want anyone to see me playing this thing. And the strings were like three inches off the fingerboard. So it was like really hard to play. Um, but that was, oh my gosh. Now, what about when you went to college? How did you, did you bring this bass with you? No, that was the first one. And then I, I changed teachers wow. and um, and I was, I was talking to him about buying a bass. And he said when he moved to the area, um, he said there was a, an old man, an amateur bass player who did all the work in the area. And then suddenly when Lawrence moved there, who was a good player, <laughs> suddenly he took all the work. So this man didn't like it. He said, however, um, I, th I think he had a, two hearing aids in and I said he used to turn them up so loud they used to whistle. Oh. Um, that was in the orchestra. He said, but he said, um, I think he's got quite a nice bass. Why don't you phone him? So I, I, I was given his number. I phoned him. It's very strange to say, um, I've been told you've got a bass. Do you want to sell it? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then we, I, I can't remember where it was. My dad drove me over there and we bought this bass. And it was, that was £250. And I had that one until I went to music college. And it was, I think it was made locally. I, I, I'm not sure it's by a, a, a name maker. Maybe it's just an amateur maker. I don't know. It was a nice base. It was, it was okay. And then I got to music college. And then we, the college already had fantastic bases. So I was just able to use their bases. They, oh. they, they had about 10 bases or something like that. That's really wonderful. Quality bases and some not so good. Um, but there was a five string base, a Hawks base. Mm. 
had gone to sleep because nobody ever played it. It, it. it was like playing a wardrobe. It really was enormous. <laughs> yes. And, and I, I started playing it and I absolutely loved it. And then we did a concert once and Charles Groves, who was a quite well-known English conductor, um, and we did a, a poppy program and we did Air on the G-String by Bach mm-hmm. um, in D major. And to, to see the look on his face when I played that low D, just added that, <laughs> it was worth everything. <laughs> Yeah. And then, then I, so I, I think I just kept this space um, that I had. And then I think I started teaching. And one day somebody, uh, I think somebody came to see me and, and said um, her dad had died and he was a, a amateur bass player and they had this bass and they wanted it valued. And I, I said, well, that's not my skill. I, I, I know nothing about value. I'll take it and, and take it to a friend for you and get it valued if you like. Mm-hmm. And I took it home and I put it in the corner of the room. And it looked like it's been there forever. And it looked like it should stay there forever. <laughs> and I, and I said, said to somebody else, I, I think I've got a nice base for you here. And it just, it stayed there. And I said, I'm so sorry. Um, I can't let you have it. I'm going <laughs> to, it was really terrible. Uh, I'm going to have to buy it. And it, it, again, it wasn't expensive, but, you know, just having left music college, I had no money at right, all. Right. Um, and I got it valued. And they were such, such lovely people. And they let me pay. I think I paid over 18 months or something. I, mm. I don't know, maybe I paid £100 a month, which was a lot of money. In, oh, I think yeah. I yeah. You're yeah. not earning very much. But we managed to do it. And I had that one for a long time. Um, and that, that one got me a long way. And it was a lovely bass. I, I really loved playing that one. How about you? How did you, you move on to other basses? Well, when I knew that I was going to be going to music college, <laughs> um, I started thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> what am I going to do? Because we didn't have bases. I got into Boston University to study with Ed Barker. And there weren't any bases there. Um, the irony is BU is where my youth orchestra ran out of. So I was sort of like, can I just keep this base that I'm borrowing? But it belonged to the youth orchestra. So it was, you know, it was going to be a complicated mix. So I had to give the base back. Um, and one of my friends in the youth orchestra with me, he had graduated the year ahead of me and he was, you know, one of these valedictorians of a super, super tough high school going off to medical school. And he said to me, I don't think I'm going to be playing anymore. It was the end of his freshman year of college and he hadn't touched his instrument. And he came from you know, a fairly wealthy family. Both of his parents were doctors type of a thing. And he said, look, I, I have this bass. It's everyone says it's decent. I'll sell it to you for $6,000. And I was like, that is awesome. So unbeknownst to me, it was a Juzek, which is a pretty reputable name for a student base. And I was very excited about that. And I scraped together. I had won a lot of little awards when I graduated high school, like, you know, $25 and $50 type things. I scraped everything together. It was every penny that I had to buy this bass, but I was so grateful to have an instrument. So I bought it. What I didn't know at the time, I didn't understand this sort of concept. There were so many wolf tones on the bass itself. It was very hard to play. And I didn't know much about like, you know, oh, you bring it to a luthier and you have work done on it and they might be able to move this. I never moved my soundpost to move the soundpost, change the strings, do some setup work. I didn't know about this concept. (laughs) And so, you know, I just got it and and I played on it. It was really quite a struggle to play on it. And I kept thinking, but I've heard the name Jusek and everyone always says they're great basses. I must've gotten like the worst one ever. 
Yes. The truth, the truth of the matter is it probably just, if I had taken it to a luthier would have not been so bad. Mm. I don't even know how old the strings were. And, but my teacher would play it and he never said like, you should bring this somewhere to get it fixed. He was just like, wow, this piece is pretty awful. <laughs> so, um, I knew I needed as quickly as I could to get a new bass, but, um, you know, money didn't grow on trees in my family. So I waited a little while and it was the summer before my junior year, I think that, um, a bass maker named Kai Arvey used to come through from Canada with two, usually two bases, his two most recent bases and pedal them around Boston, New York, Philadelphia, sometimes he'd go out other places. And my teacher called me and said, look, the Boston Symphony has a reserve on an RV base. I want you to play it. Oh, before that, I had gone to some of the base shops in New York and played on so many bases that it was, I kept a list. It was overwhelming and confusing. And I came away thinking I needed $70,000 to get a decent base. And there was no way that was going to happen. So Kai RV came through town and I played on the two bases and I totally, completely fell in love with one of them. And Kai said to me, well, I got to show these to some other places and try to, you know, he was sort of peddling them, drumming up business, taking orders. And he said, let me go to these other towns. And if you want this base, it's for the BSO, but Ed Barker says that they'll take one from the next batch. And um, he said, but you've got to get the money together in three days. Well, it was, it was like 14 or $15,000, which today doesn't seem that much, but in 1997, it was a lot of money. I mean, I took a school loan, which I didn't have any school loans. So I, I took a school loan and I borrowed money from my sister and my parents went to the bank and took out a loan for that. And we all together, we, we pulled the money together, but three days is a really short amount of time to scrounge that up. But it was sort of like, I need the money that day or this won't happen. <gasps> so we bought the base. He came back three days later. It came with a case, which was huge because the RVs are slightly bigger size and they don't fit in a standard case they need to be like custom made so once again the case thing is like <laughs> it's an issue at times so i bought that rv i'll tell you the world opened up to me at that point all of the hard and ed barker said this would happen all the hard work i did once i got onto a really good instrument yes. it would start to fall into place and i still own that instrument today it's one of three that i have Wow, that's amazing. You still yeah. play it? I do. I do. It's this it's the instrument that I keep at Berkeley. Um mm -hmm. and of course I <laughs> do you name your instruments? No. <laughs> I knew that about you already, but I think it's good for the listeners to hear. I, however, do. <laughs> I name everything. Um I I would literally name my stove if I could if I didn't think they'd like institutionalize me for it. But so I named, I named this instrument. Um, it was made on Prince Edward Island, which is the location of a, a series of books that I read as a girl that I loved called mm -hmm. Anne of Green Gables. Yes. And um, the girl, the little girl's an orphan and she comes to what becomes her forever home. And she says, well, my name is Anne, but would you please call me Cordelia? And of course the very just, down to earth, no nonsense woman who ultimately adopts her says, no, I will not. So I named the base Cordelia. <laughs> of course she is. 
Of course I did. So it seemed very suiting. So I, I have Cordelia and um, about 15 years ago, I guess it was 14, right after I got married, um, I found another base. I wasn't looking, but I found another basis, just this Tyrolean, no name. It was a five string, but it was converted to four string uh, bass played by a, a former Boston Symphony player, Bela Wurzler. And it was a tiny bit smaller than my RV. RVs are known for being big. Um, mm. And I'm 5'7", and I'm broad-shouldered. Never felt big to me. Um, but this bass is, I think the string length is about an inch shorter. Um, and very comfortable to play and very lovely and just sort of plopped into my lap and I scooped that up as well. And then all of a sudden I thought, I have two bases. What did I just do? Um, but when I tour with the Boston Pops and the Boston Symphony, a lot of times our instruments have to go out on a, a bus or a mm -hmm. truck or a plane or whatever, um, days before we actually physically leave. Mm -hmm. And I used to always have to rent or borrow a bass if I wanted to gig that week before my tour. And mm -hmm. so I thought, well, maybe this is somewhat cost effective because I'm not going to be borrowing basses. I have found that having two is super helpful in my career. I can have one at Symphony Hall that stays there for a week or two or five, depending on how long of a stint I'm doing. And I still have a bass at home that I can practice on and teach on. Um, now, how about you? After, after this one in college, you then I bought the this bass, which was yeah. I took to have a value, which was lovely, and it had a, a lovely uh, solo shape, so I could play solos nice. on that. But I needed something um, bigger for orchestral playing because I was still doing some orchestral playing at that time. So I, I bought this French, this Claudio bass, which mm -hmm. is really quite big, um, but it had a, a nice orchestral sound. So I had two basses, so I could play solos and I could play orchestral and, and so nice. that worked well and and then I met a maker called Paul Bryant English maker who was a lo really lovely very gentle chap and his basses and he, he, was, he was really very nice to work with and his basses were very easy to play and, and nice so I, I commissioned the bass from him which I still have nice I've always had three or four basses mm -hmm. and at the moment, at the moment I've got about 10 uh, but don't <laughs> tell Sarah she, I, I think she doesn't know because I sort of hide them <laughs> in different places in the house <laughs> I think I got away with it, but I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> and then eventually, um, a friend of mine who was a, a, a dealer, he was a, an amateur bass player, but he was a, a, a player, a dealer, repairer, that type of thing. And he was a lovely chap. And I went to see him once, and he showed me this bass from about 1790, from Mozart's time. And I fell in love with this bass. And I, I have never fallen in love with the bass before. It was perfect. It was the right size. It had history to it, everything I'd ever yeah. wanted. Yeah. Um, and he'd offered it to somebody else first. So they had first refusal. And because they knew I wanted it, they knew it must be a good bass. So they they bought it. Oh. Heartbroken. I'd never, because you know, it, it's a bass is a bass. It's right. it, what right. it is. And you can either afford to buy it or you can't. So there's no point worrying. Um, but this one, I, I was really heartbroken. He felt really bad that he'd shown me this bass and then taken it away from me. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of months later, I went to see him. I was sitting having a coffee, and he just pointed to this bass. He said, try the A string. And I plucked the A string, and it just resonated. for It felt like about 20 minutes. Mm. And it was unbelievable. The, the boom was absolutely fantastic. He said, this is the bass I've got for you. He said, I felt so bad 
that I'd, I'd show you this bass, take it away from you. And I found this one. And it's the bass I still play now. Oh. And it's absolutely glorious. And I used to work with a fantastic violinist. And she had a violin, which is worth probably double the cost of our house. It was an amazing part and really big sound. But my bass would match her. When we played the Grand Duo or Passione or or things like that, my bass would match her. Oh, excellent. And I absolutely love it. And then I got Martin Penning um, to make an exact copy of it so Ah. I could just move from one bass to the other. And and the the bass I play, it's it's a Viennese shape. And when I was about 17 or 18, I'd gone down to London for a bass lesson. And I had one bass record at the time because you couldn't buy them. And I went into a record shop in London and they had one bass record and it was Ludwig Stryker playing Bottasini. Oh. And he, he there's a picture of him on the front with his fantastic Viennese shaped bass. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with that shape. And then suddenly I had this bass of the same shape, this oh, Viennese wow. shape. It was meant to be. Exactly. It, it was just, everything just came together. And it wasn't expensive. The The sound is far greater than the value of the bass. Yeah. It's yeah. unbelievable. And then Martin made this, this exact copy. So I, I'm, as I say, I'm just, they're marginally different. Right. It's quite easy to go from one to the other. That's uh, great. But I, I, this bass has been all over the world, the the, the Viennese one. And mm. I, I absolutely loved it. And it, it's, so all my students want first refusal. Uh, <laughs> because it, it just, it outplays all their basses. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable. Because sometimes I get them to play it. And I and I just say, it's it's like having a, an Aston Martin or it's like having a, um, I don't know, a Mini. You know, they're right. both made to be, yep. but differently. And this, <laughs> this one isn't, this isn't a tractor. This one is an Aston Martin. And you have to learn how to play them. They are different. Um, and it just plays itself. It's absolutely glorious. And the sound is, I, I just adore it. I've, I've used it in a couple of uh, concerts. I, I used to play for a, a little amateur um, choir. And they just have a, a little orchestra together. Yeah. And it's so funny. I used to use one hair of the bow on this bass. And the strings were solo tunings. I used to tune them down to orchestral pitch. So they were half half as bright. Right. And I used to use one hair of the bow and it was still too loud. It was, <laughs> I've never had to underplay so much as on this bass. <laughs> That's yeah. great though. Cause then you're not pushing, you're not having to work so hard. That's one of the things I loved about my RV when I found mm. it. Um, everything was easy. Physically, mm. it was easy to play the bass. The bass, it was, I mean, the varnish was still wet. It actually smelled, it gave me a headache. <laughs> but, but it was, it wanted to play and it created, you know, my, my teacher said to me, you can train this because it's new. You can train it to play the way you want it to, yes. which I actually think you can do with any bass. Um, but it never had been played by anyone but me really. And it was so much easier than the Juzek, which I had of course named also, I had named it Gonzo because I knew that as soon as I could afford it, that bass was going to be Gonzo out of my life. I know it's just terrible, (laughs) but, um, you know, when I bought my, my first RV and yes, I did say first, um, all of a sudden doors in my career started opening. Mm. Um, I was, I was still in school. I suddenly started sitting principal of the orchestra, getting to play solos. Um, like the, we did the Britain Midsummer Night's Dream opera and there's these little funky little bass solos in the middle of it. I got to play those 
And people in the freelance community were at that concert and heard me and started hiring me to freelance. Right. I started playing as a substitute with the Boston Pops. It like all fell into place. And I thought this was, I considered it an investment in, you know, you need tools, right, to do your job. And I knew I had taken loans from everywhere in order to, to make this happen. I thought I better make this work. Um, I started getting to summer festivals um, everything just sort of started happening for me and I was so excited, but sort of like what you were saying, my little Tyrolene, I call it little, it's really not little. <laughs> it's, it's still, it's just an inch shorter string length, but from front to back, it's a little bit less deep. Mm. And so it feels little compared to my RV. Um, that one, I had played it as a five string. And I had said to, to Dennis Roy, who was working on it and trying to sell it, I said to him, you know what, I don't want to play on a five string. I find with the double bass, when I have to play an orchestra, playing on one string with the volume I need is challenge enough. <laughs> and with the five strings, they're just on this bass, the strings were fairly close together. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be playing inadvertent triple stops way too easily. This is not going to be fun. So I said to him, if it ever suddenly becomes a four string i would be thrilled to have right of first refusal mm. and so he showed it to a bunch of people and everyone said nobody nobody here in boston wanted a five string so he converted it to a four string with an extension but the scroll i'm looking at it as i speak was big enough to support a low b for the extension wow that's amazing and it's incredible. And so we justified it by saying, really, I just wanted a low B. But the, we said, well, the bass is used to having a B. So mm. it'll still have that resonance available. I'll tell you that B is one of my favorite things about the bass. But this bass has become also, it's my, I play it with the Boston Symphony, but I also play it when I'm doing concertos and recitals. Yeah. It's very lovely to get around as a solo bass. Um, but when I played Simone Garcia's concerto twice with two different orchestras last season, putting on the solo strings, I couldn't get a solo string that was long enough. So I had to take off the extension, which broke my heart. It was just temporary. But to look at that bass without the extension was really sort of like looking at your child missing a limb. It was really <laughs> strange. <laughs> um, it didn't impact the sound at all, but um, th this bass loves playing solo repertoire. Um, I did put the extension back on and I put my orchestral tuning strings back on in May when I was done playing the concerto. I'm playing it again in the fall and I'm like, well, guess that extension's going to come off again. I considered putting the concerto on my RV, yes. but I'm so comfortable playing it on this Tyrolean. I'm just going to stick with it. But, um, so I got to a point where I had very comfortable with two bases and now I don't feel so gluttonous knowing you have a, b a bunch of them. It's great. <laughs> um, Kai Harvey was making more bases and he had one that as he was making it, something happened to it and a small part of the front wood broke right. and came off uh, before it was varnished. So he put it back on, he, you know, glued it, patched it. It's very securely put on it, varnished it. You can't see it. You, and you certainly can't hear anything wrong with the instrument, but he had trouble selling it mm. because people didn't want to buy something that already was damaged, yes. except for me. I said, you know what? I could really, I had just gotten the job at Berkeley and um, 
I really wanted to have a base that I could keep at the school so I didn't have to bring mine back and forth every day. Well, no, I don't teach there every day, but every day that I teach. So I said, you know what, I would buy it. He lowered the price because it was imperfect. And I said, I could do that. I can swing that. And then it would be, I would have my, I call it my pop space. And mm -hmm. then my other, my Tyrolean does my other orchestral stuff and a base for school. But then I had a student, this is so silly, and she was going off to college and she needed a better base. Yes. And um, she she took a year, her first year of school, and she, she looked around and looked at a lot of different instruments. And she came back to me at the end of her first year at Oberlin. And she said to me, I can't find a base I like. And I said, well, I do have two RVs. That seems like a silly thing. Why don't you buy mine and use it? Yes. And so she did. She was very excited. She, But she's smaller than I am, shorter and less broad shoulders, smaller hands. I have very big hands. So she used it and she found that over the next couple of years, it felt big for her. Um, 42 inch string length, I don't know, just was a little bit too big for, for her sort of natural stretch. So um, when I sold it to her, I sold Cordelia and I, I just felt like I had sold a child. I hated it. I wanted that bass back desperately. And I mulled it over and I, I spoke with Kevin about it. I said, am I being gluttonous? Is this greedy? I love this bass. I just gave it away and I want it back and I want it back now. <laughs> so um, I called her after a couple of years and I said, so any chance that you're looking for another base or you're interested in selling that RV? And she said, I was actually going to call you this week. She said, I'm looking at a hatches and I'm looking at a whole bunch of other different mm -hmm. instruments. It's just, you know, the, it's not the base for me. I said, great. Would you like some money? I'll give you money to put towards your other base. I want this base back. <laughs> so, um, at this time of year, you know, school is out for the summer. I have three bases in this room. There are times when I have no bases in this room, depending on, you know, I've got one in a trunk to go on Boston Pops tours. I've got one at Symphony Hall to do stuff at the hall. And I've got one in my office at Berkeley. And then I think, maybe I need a fourth base. This is a problem. You never have too many bases, Susan Hagen. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, honestly, I've got justification. I can just say, well, David has like at least 10. I was given three um, a few weeks ago. Mm. Uh, I, I've talked about starting a base foundation yes. for school age. And a friend uh, knew of two, two small bases at the school, which were free of charge. I just made a donation to a, a local charity. And That's I posted amazing. a photograph on Facebook. And then a, a, a friend of mine, and um, she plays oboe and picking a clarinet and, and bass. And she uh, said, oh, I... I've got a base. Uh, if you want that, you can have that as well. So I, in, within space of 24 hours, I suddenly had three more bases, which is nice. It triples I, your collection. With bases is the stories they could tell, because yes. most of the time we don't know where they're from or, or anything. Right. And the nice thing about the, the base that Martin made for me is I saw it. I, I chose the wood. Um, I went to see him one day and then I chose the neck block and he was explaining to me why why this wood was better than that wood. Mm. You, know, you look at it to us, it's just a piece of wood. I, I don't know which is better. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't right. know. And so I, he, he guided me and we chose the wood. And then he took photographs all the way through from the pieces of wood right up to the finished base. Oh, means wow. that when I sell the base eventually, I can pass these photographs on. 
and they could stay with the base. So suddenly um, you can see where the base came from, the history and heritage. That's that's much more thorough provenance than what bases ever have. That's amazing. It it, it is nice, but that one I like, but I'm quite happy with the, the ones I have. That's good. Some of the bases are just student bases, which I, I loan out if a student needs one. Or... Right, right. So they're not all great quality. So I think I've got uh, four or five, which are really good quality bases, which I, nice. I really enjoy playing. And I, I I I keep saying I don't want any more bases. And then, but I, I, <laughs> I just keep going back to I've always wanted, you know, guitar shaped bass. Oh, but yes. No corner. And I've mentioned it to Martin. And he's he's interested in making it for me, cool. and he's and he's he's got a, I think a two year waiting list, so it, mm. it would be uh, a while before I could get it. But it's it's I keep trying to talk myself out of it. <laughs> the idea just keeps coming back, and I don't need any more. I really don't. I, no. I have the bases I have. However, <laughs> well, life is short. If you've you know, if there's one that you want, I feel like we are. We're part of the bases' lives more than they're part of our lives. They're hopefully going to live much longer than we do. So if you're taking care of it for a few years and then someone else gets it later, you know, it's like being a really good foster dad. <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> but I, I think it's nice when you do commission a new base yes. because at some point all these old bases were new. Right. And if people hadn't asked these makers to make, we wouldn't have these old bases. It's um, true. And I think it's nice. And I remember Gary Carr, he, I think he commissioned many, many basses, many bows. And I think it's yeah. just to help the bass community suddenly have more instruments, but also to, to highlight all these great makers. Right. And there are, there are a lot of great makers. And I know there was the ISB convention recently, and I had a student there looking at basses. She wanted to buy one. And she said to me, oh my God, there are so many current amazing makers out there. It's almost hard to decide. And I gave her probably the worst bit of advice, but I think it's good advice. Um, I said, just play on all of them. Take notes so that you remember which is which, but play them. You'll know the one. Mm. It will hit you that you love it. You love the sound of it. You love the feel of it. And it feels like home. I said, they talk to you. And it's it's the same with the bow. When they you try do. And, yes. and sometimes as you're playing them, I, I try and teach my students this, use your gut instinct. Yes. And even though you might not know why you don't like that bow, you're right. Trust, it, yeah, trust yourself. It's not talking to you. The right. ones that, that are meant for you, they, they talk to you if you, if you choose to listen. And it's yep. the same with basses, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And what's great is she found a bass. She said she played a whole bunch. She slept on it. And the next morning she said, I need to play this other bass again one more time and she played and she said yep i have to buy it this is the one and she said to me i don't know but it felt great in my hand and it sounded the way i wanted it to and it had improvements on all the things that she didn't like about her current bass and she said this is just the one for me i was so excited and i was really glad she found something I was surprised it wasn't a modern maker um mm-hmm. but it was you know it was actually a bass that the frame had been built in prague Right. And then it was brought up to Italy um, to be finished by a, a violin maker named Sonino, who my sister has a Sonino violin. Um, he mostly made string quartet instruments. He'd take a nice big plank of wood and get a whole quartet out of them, and it's more cost-effective when you're a maker. Um, 
but he he made about four maybe five double bases and so she's all excited she said it's czech so it's rooted in our history but it's also italian and who doesn't love an italian instrument exactly. <laughs> this is where we come back to this golden age that we're all yes. being part of which i think is is amazing it, it's yeah I, I tell all my students this about this golden age we're living through and how yes. lucky are we to be bass players and be part of this it's never been so it's never been better has it I, i'm no. sure i'm sure it's the best it's ever been it's a fabulous time. I was telling one of my students yesterday, using your phrase, the golden age, mm -hmm. there are instruments and bows being made and people like Lynn Hannings, who's restoring old bows so that they don't yes. get thrown out. Music galore being written for us. It's just, it's such a fun time and I love it. Um, but it looks like we might be close to out of time. I could talk about our bases six more episodes. <laughs> This is wonderful. Thank you, David. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Bass Talk with Hagen and Hayes. Please remember to like and subscribe and leave your happy comments and tell us about your basses. And we want to thank you to our sponsors. And we look forward to talking to you on our next episode. Take care, everybody. Bye.